Hello and welcome to Listen to These Nerds. I'm John and today I'm going to be interviewing Luke. Um, Luke, uh, cards on the table. We've kind of known each other for a while uh, before uh, bringing you in to, to talk about your, your new game, uh, After Hours. That we have? Yep. Um, so, uh, why don't you give me the... The, the quick pitch for uh, all of the audience members who aren't good friends with you, who game with you regularly. Oh, those people. Innocent. <laughs> Untainted by knowing me. Um, the elevator pitch is pretty simple. After Hours is a story-driven tabletop role-playing system uh, utilizing the Power by the Apocalypse engine, which you might be familiar with with any other game that utilizes that system, such as Masks. Um, and it focuses on utilizing the ideas and archetypes that monsters uh, have in popular culture as a lens in which to explore more interpersonal uh, and kind of social issues. But boiling all of that down, it's very simply monsters trying to survive in human society. I, the essential idea is it can be a very surface level, enjoyable, just bang, crash, have fun kind of game. Or if you do want to get a bit more into it and do some more kind of Maybe not navel gazing, but definite soul searching. There is maybe something to get get out of it as well. Yeah, I I've uh, when I talked to it uh, with some uh, other friends, I I've um, as a shorthand said, it's like Monster Hearts, except about adults instead of teenagers, and there's not as much fucking. Ah, oh, that is so. That is you've actually hit the nail on the head right there, and I appreciate that you said it. Um, Monster Hearts is definitely a massive inspiration for this game as well. Uh, as as a system, uh, as a game that I have played and I have listened to other people play, I loved it when I was younger and a bit more, a bit more out of control in my life. Shall we say? I don't really know what I was trying to do career wise, relationship wise, and that sense of being a shitty young adult, a shitty teenager, and not really feeling like you fit in with everyone else around you really resonated with me. But as time went by, and I think this is kind of the key the key thing that ever happened to me, is my best friend, I'm talking 16 years I've known this person, had their first kid, um, of which they now have three. And there was that moment where we saw a kind of chain in, change in both of us. We both realised oh, responsibility doesn't really have an opt-in option. It will just happen. You will at some point realize, I have to be an adult now. But you don't stop being that complete mess you used to be. You simply now have to be that mess and a functional member of society. And that's kind of what transfigured the original project I had, which was snuffed, um, into After Hours. It matured it and it made it much more relatable, as far as I felt. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, stuff. So uh, again, because we've known each other for a while, and I've might have listened to you run a campaign of the previous iteration of this game. Uh, could you explain what Snuffed is for for the listeners? So Snuffed was very early doors, a boiled down concept, which essentially um, runs as horror movie monsters going apeshit on an unsuspecting populace. While it was an incredibly fun game to design and uh, focusing on the archetypes of things like the skin jacker, which is a spirit that can possess people, or um, or the Ripper, who is like a full-blown Jason Voorhees-style serial killer, it was 
very much a blunt instrument of a game, something that I struggle to really run beyond an original an original episode. It's not necessarily something I'm embarrassed about because it formed the genesis of After Hours, but it did have its limits, and it was only through playing it and playing that campaign that you listened to as well that I kind of started to get through my head what I created compared to what I actually wanted to produce. It's still... It's still something I'm very proud of, and I actually, while I've got the opportunity, will just say a massive thank you to Crazon from uh, Alternative Regimortis. Sorry, I'm plugging another podcast in your podcast. Um, because he did artwork for my playbooks as a Secret Santa, and it was genuinely the nicest thing I think anyone has ever done for me while keeping my clothes on. So, yeah, I found that to be really inspirational. That's kind of what gave me the motivation to keep going with it. Oh, and. Um, all right. So, uh, with kind of the, uh, the, the history out of the way, uh, let's dive in a little bit more on, on what after hours is now. So you, you've talked about it being kind of, uh, kind of, kind of an adult monster game, but not in the, uh, the X rated kind of way. Yes. The, oh God, I have another shift in five hours, uh, do I take the five hour energy or do I uh, see if I can crash real quick kind of game? Precisely. If, if I, if I need, if I wanted to suggest, if, if I wanted to kind of go rather than play this game, if you want to get a sense of tone, um, being human, the BBC uh, drama, which I think an American adaptation as well, very much encapsulates a lot of what I feel after hours can do. It's all about taking quite surreal, quite strange and, monstrous ideas and then going okay make that fit in something really not designed for it but don't but without actually languishing being an Eli Roth kind of take on it where it's all gore and boobs and just overtly adult themes it's more about exploring how you have to make compromises how you have to grow as a person facing certain things in I feel like I just kind of deviated massively from what you were asking (laughs) I'm a smart man. No, no, like um, that's a a really uh, good way of uh, ta- talking about the themes that uh, you wanted to explore. And uh, one of the things that I, I really feel was interesting in in how you kind of got those themes across was the was how you did playbooks for this game. In that your character isn't one playbook; they're two. Yes. God, I'm not sure if that was a great idea or a really bad one. I mean, from at least a work perspective. Uh, so one of the things I really wanted to do while designing the playbooks was not feel like I'm boxing in the play into any one particular kind of category. Not to disparage any of the Power by the Apocalypse system, a lot of them actually managed to capture really great archetypes that allow for jumping off points for players. But considering that After Hours was all about the juxtaposition of monstrous internal conflict with exterior social demand, I felt that splitting the playbooks actually gave players even more freedom without making it necessarily too complicated. On one hand, you have the monster, naturally, uh, playbook, which is all about the specific conflicts you want that character to go through. And it, by default, tends to delve into the more supernatural, the more otherworldly kind of things. It's where the character draws their supernatural powers from. But there is no vampire playbook. There is no werewolf playbook. Instead, you have certain archetypes, certain concepts that you get to play around with. For example, you've got things like the Keeper, which 
on a surface reading is very much a person or entity looking after something else that is strange or dangerous or it just doesn't understand. But if you dig down a little bit more and you think about the metaphor of it, it's about responsibility. It's about taking care of someone that cannot take care of themselves, whether that's a being a parent, being a full-time carer, or being in a relationship with someone who maybe needs more from you than you need from them. Uh, and moving over to, say, much more blunt force kind of uh, readings, if you look at something maybe like the uh, like the Beast, which is about dealing with aggression and finding ways to control and channel and find outlets for something that is ultimately a very destructive emotion. Obviously, you can read that as a big monstrous Jason Voorhees or werewolf kind of monstrosity, or you can talk about people who say suffer from PTSD or suffer from impulse control issues and try and find the reading that works best for you. I have no point wanted to make after hours an uncomfortable experience, but I wanted to give people the opportunity to go, I can see that I can be this, but it also allows me to talk about something else. Uh, I actually kind of Again, like everything else, I seem to find I get the best therapy while playing role-playing games. I uh, actually was able to address, I have kind of an issue with intimacy and relationships through a role-playing game. And actually had like a good 30-second just outpouring of my heart to a bunch of random people on the internet. And then kind of went, huh, I never thought I'd actually say that to someone. So I, I kind of felt like that kind of side of things would not just be a interesting jumping off point for monster kind of role play, but also give people an opportunity to opt into something else. On the other side of things, you have the mask. The mask is very much the social role. And this is the part which I feel can be, weirdly enough, more cathartic than the monster. Um, because while a lot of people may not necessarily want to address some of the more negative emotions, some of the more difficult feelings they have through the monster playbooks, I wanted to make sure that the masks, uh, for example, things like the colleague, which is basically customer-facing retail, or um, or the hustler, or the temp, various different roles, which are not necessarily empowering, but are kind of a warped reflection of what it is like to be that role. There is a certain kind of look in the eye of anyone who has worked in customer-facing retail for a certain amount of time, where you go from, I want to help people, to, I really wish you would just not come and talk to me, but I know I have to because that's my job. Um, and by fusing these two, by giving people the opportunity to, for one, pick the level of engagement they want, and for another, to actually have that outlet to be able to go, okay, I want to play as the temp, and just laugh at how utterly horrifying the gig economy is in a kind of morbid way. I was able to give people really great options. And thus far, with all the playtests and all the character generation I've helped set up, every single person has brought something totally new and totally unique to their kind of mixture of character playbooks. Um, you don't mind if I talk about your character, do you? Because yours actually became a really fantastic one to talk about. Uh, not, not at all. So your character is... In fact, this is a very interesting part is this was you used one of the playbooks that I really felt like I had to tread carefully over, which is the Transfigured. This is a playbook very much about self-identification, dysphoria, about presentation, both in private and in public. This is actually a playbook I didn't actually pull the trigger on until I'd actually had a big outreach to other members of the um, trans community, the um, gender fluid community and everyone else as well who would have a valid opinion and basically when what do you think of what is already here 
do you think it's fitting? Do you think there's anything I've missed? And sure enough, there were actually a few things I missed, which got put in later. But the really interesting thing is that your character, the lizard person, <laughs> the lizard man, um, actually took it in a different way, which is about heritage. By being a kind of cuckoo's nest species that puts their young in a more nurturing environment because the species themselves is kind of crap at it and then will come back later when they reach maturity gave this really strange but really relatable sensation of being totally disconnected from your culture and yet having to adopt another one while at the same time knowing that eventually you're going to have to go back again it really struck with me because it's I'm not going to name any names but I had a friend who I worked with um, who ended up getting put, uh, put into an arranged marriage. And it was a very interesting and really disheartening feeling to kind of see this guy go from, I really love it here, I really love all the kind of friends I've made, and all the stuff I get to do here that I could never do at home, and then just over time seeing the fact that he had to go home and he kind of resigned himself to what was going to happen. So, yeah, I feel like in creating this lizard person character and then also creating this foil, this comic foil in the mask, you kind of really perfectly encapsulate what I was hoping to go for with After Hours. On the one hand, you have the surface level lizard person who is also just trying to get along, but there is this kind of sense of familial disconnect and this cultural kind of reconnection that has to be made with the with the outside foil of working in a Denny's that got repurposed into an off-brand restaurant because the because the franchise expired, so they've just put a K over the D, and the format of the K keeps changing on everything. Like, I think I loved... I think I'm in... I think I still get the giggles when I think about it now. And, yeah, I just found that everyone so far has been able to bring something really, really unique, but your character in particular actually took something I was not too sure about and then pushed it in a completely new and interesting direction. So it's it's really helped me get more confidence about how After Hours is shaping up because everyone seems to be able to just grab on and find something. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you um, uh, enjoyed that decision. I Sorry if I read way too much into that and took it in a direction you didn't expect. Oh, no, no. I'm that, so used uh, to it. Um... No, that uh, that actually really kind of came came about from from me uh, trying to find a way to play the transfigured without falling into any uh, any terrible uh, uh, trans as monstrous um, tropes. I was going to say because that is something that also came up when I was thinking about the playbook, and um, I cannot remember the name of the article. I got an article referred to me, which was all about the representation of monsters in queer fandom and the way that queer fandom relate um, and queer communities have somehow kind of imprinted and taken in monster kind of aesthetics and over time and kind of while exploring that a little bit further it did become apparent that the monstrousness didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily a negative aspect as much as it was the acceptance of that that for a lot of people when it comes to really intense feelings of dysphoria or coming into kind of that horrible moment of not feeling like you are yourself anymore, that the acceptance of the other was actually much more grounding than the dismissal or just not thinking of it. So I don't know. It feels, it almost feels like that the queer community did a really great job at 
reclaiming this sense of otherness. And that's one of the reasons why I think Monster Hearts is such a big hit for the LGBTQ community is because very specifically, it's about being a monster, but completely being in control of your sexuality and having consent be something that is 100% within your control. Sorry, that was a side rant. No, no, it, it, I, I mean, the comparisons between this and Monster Hearts have, have already been drawn. We, yeah. or, I, I figure, it, like, any discussion of, of of this game is going to invite uh, comparison and uh, contrast. Absolutely. I, I, I welcome that. I would love more people to get involved in Monster Hearts. I know um, one of the GMs I know in Brighton hosts uh, Monster Heart, Monster Heart one-shots over Halloween, and it is always a fantastic experience because he always manages to get lots of first-time players who find that it's not a crunchy, dry, very kind of regimented experience. It's very fluid, very character-driven. And yeah, I, I would, uh, if, <laughs> I'll plug other people's RPGs, play Monster Hearts, play V2 Monster Hearts. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to disguise it. You could say it's not World of Darkness. I, I, I don't think <laughs> there are any World of Darkness defenders oh. on this podcast. But, no, uh, fuck World of Darkness. Um, it's far too goddamn depressing. Yeah. Um, no, I, I would say like, Everyone can operate in their own spaces. And when it comes to creating games, you are not necessarily... I mean, I I had to kind of beat this myself over the head with this, but when you are making a system and it has similarities to something else that's out there, don't feel too self-conscious about it. Provided you are not infringing upon their copyrights, you're not obviously using mechanics or content that they have already produced, go for it. Someone may prefer the slight tweaks you've made to what you've produced compared to what was otherwise produced. It's one of the reasons why there is this big resurgence for narrative role-playing and diceless role-playing, because so many people have gone, I like this world, I just really wish I didn't have to roll five different dice and fill out a massive A4 spreadsheet for all my stats. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, one of the reasons why Fiasco, I think, is so fantastically popular, now it's ditched dice, that now it's a lot more focused about the actual improv and the actual role-playing. Oh, uh, has a new version of uh, Fiasco come out? I, I believe it's aware. in the pipeline. Hmm. I'll have to check that myself now. I know I know a friend of mine was talking to me about it, because Fiasco was one of the big improv role plays I started with, and I've revisited it once or twice and always had fantastic fun, but the one thing that always kind of slowed play down was the interspersal of dice, and if there was just a way to get that out of the way, that would make things just open up even further. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the early uh, the the generating all of the the setting and character co- connections with dice has always been good. It's everything that they do after mm. that I've, I've always found kind of slows things down. No, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Definitely, the character generations, are, uh, the setting generation stuff, that element of being able to just go fuck it. What did the dice say? And chuck them is nice. Mm-hmm. In fact, speaking of <laughs> speaking of setting generation, if you don't don't mind me. Uh, Grabbing control of the interview for a second. Um, Not at all. I, I was definitely going to get there eventually. <laughs> um, was that I also looked at trying something a bit different for for uh, setting creation as well. Um, one of the big things that I've always found has been really entertaining with role playing systems is they've always got some approach, some tweak, some interesting idea to either having systems or mechanics for you to producing a world or already having a nice selection of lore and pre-generated stuff for you to just immediately work with. Um, with After Hours, I really wanted to open it up to everyone. So even in the playbook, I do really suggest things like Microscope, if you want to do lots of macro and micro storytelling to kind of set the scene. Um, 
all things like the quiet year. But one thing I really wanted to focus on was making the entire system setting agnostic to ensure that whether you want to make it contemporary, which I feel a lot of modern role playing really gets bogged down in, especially a lot of urban fantasy, is it, it always has to be 2020. It always has to be really, really up to date. And there's very rarely, unless you put the effort in, stuff set in, you know, the 1960s, the 1940s, uh, or even like if, uh, the amount of stuff I've seen that could, say, be set in the in the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, is very limited. So coming, so focusing on the actual setting generation, I wanted to make sure it could be broken down so simply that you could just go place, event, groups, rumors, things that you could plug into basically anything and then go off from there so the setting that you all created um which was napier point i remembered it without checking the document i'm a smart man um really unfolded because it was both input by the characters like the history you guys had as well as just building upon other suggestions it was a really nice example of yes and world building um Whereas I find sometimes if you go into a pre-gen setting, sometimes you go, this is great for a few characters, but some of us are just going to have to sit here and wait. Um, so as someone who's GM'd a few times and needs more GMing time under my belt, I really, really feel happy with how the actual setting generation system plays out because it gives everyone that opportunity to stick their oar in and go, I'd like this plot hook in here, please, so I can have some stuff happen for my character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found it a very uh, organic experience, just bringing everything together um, uh, from starting out with the the first thing I added being, well, uh, my character's, the, the Kenny's, the, the restaurant yes. my character works at, needs to exist somewhere. Well, why, why don't we talk about where that, where, where do you put a failed Denny's? Yes. I mean, when were the Denny's ever fail? Um but yeah, I really like that fact that everyone who got involved was able to engage and blow up as well as down. You were able to take small things and extrapolate bigger things from them. There was never this sense of a linear, make five locations, then make five settings. Then It, it never felt like you guys were having to just tick off boxes, which felt wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's one of those things that every GM can kind of appreciate is when we go, oh, I, I don't really have to input anymore. You guys are just kind of going. Not that, not that there's anything wrong with having to shepherd people occasionally. Yeah, and, and to to talk about other characters, um, um, part of the 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 setting basically became um, what uh, what Ed's character, uh, the the patriarch of the Lovecraftian horror family, uh, what, oh. what his family's influence on the area was. Yes, and that was something. I mean, has Ed had any kind of profile on this podcast before, or shall I explain precisely what Ed is? <laughs> Uh, no, 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 nobody knows, uh, the, the, the true horrors of, of Ed <laughs> as a, uh, as a player. Okay, if you have to ever to listen to Ed, just speaking normally, he sounds like the sweetest, softest boy you will ever meet. But if you hear him role-playing, he just opens up seven mouths and sings the song that ends the world. And it was fantastic to see his very unique approach to character creation, which is very often, he doesn't make antagonists, he just makes characters that have a field of chaos around them. And it folded really neatly into the setting. Without necessarily giving him an unreasonable amount of power, this Lovecraftian fish grandpa 
the kind of patriarch of this expanded family of, I'm going to just say, Innsmouth on holiday, actually managed to become a facet to the store to the greater story to the greater community but still allowed other characters to kind of populate that world and have links within it but at no point and even as i've sat down and kind of written up potential plot hooks have i gone yeah these guys aren't really going to dominate the storyline no no one character can ever be truly the kind of center stage because everyone's going to have their own particular like facet of social or physical superiority so yeah, it's 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 wonderful to have a player like Ed get involved with this game, produce a character that is so absolutely horrifyingly on brand, and have everything hold together compared to say Mamfu, for example. <laughs> a Soviet era cyborg that well, Soviet era sphere covered in tentacles, powered by an eldritch monstrosity. In fact, there's a lot of eldritch monstrosities with Ed's characters. I'm concerned. <laughs> Do we need to go around his place with shotguns and dynamite and suss him out? Mm, uh, I mean, he does live in the Pacific Northwest, so I mean... Yeah, that'll do it. Um, but... He's basically a cryptid at this point. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um... Is there... Uh, so, uh, other than the, the setting we came up with, you also have your... have a kind of a pre-gen setting. Yes. So that was the other thing I really wanted to do with what what the state that uh, After Hours is in right now is not completely finished. It is still going to be added to and anyone who has picked it up already um, will obviously have access to all the updates. But I realized that straight off the bat, not everyone is going to want to sit down and bang out a bunch of locations and a bunch of characters. So pre-gens have been the key thing. Funnily enough, I also made uh, for the pre-gen another beachside community uh, <laughs> called Levy Beach, but it was actually really useful for me from a writing process to be able to actually sit down, go through all the examples of everything I'd already established through the actual section of the rule book, which talks about community creation and go, okay, well, let's take these couple of features, plug them into the actual community and then extrapolate from there. So I can kind of show people, for one, here is a setting for you to guys to just go straight off of and start playing with. But also, if you aren't sure how your community should look, here's an example. And later on, I will definitely be sitting down and making some pre-generated characters as well, just so if people want a pack for a con, they can literally just print out five character sheets, a community sheet, and grab some D6s, and that'll be it. Yeah. Um, so with uh, Levy Beach specifically, was there any... Um sort of feel you were going for? Uh, or... uh, so I would definitely say that Levy Beach kind of became a fusion of what I imagine San Francisco is like with what I know Brighton definitely is. <laughs> Speaking of someone who has lived in Brighton for damn near seven years now, um, it's something that very much imprinted upon me. And while thinking about what kind of... So something I should have probably mentioned is when you're talking about community building, and I already talked about error and how agnostic that can be, the other part of it is themes, which is where people can get around the table and go, I'd, I'd like this aesthetic, I would like to avoid this kind of content. Um, and as such, I sat down and thought, you know what, I love The Lost Boys, but I really hate gentrification. Yeah, I can work with this. Um, and focused on making something that was a kind of hybrid fusion of the real urban buildup and gentrification that you see in San Francisco and lots of other coastal kind of uh, West Coast cities, 
also compared with that very much intensely overbuilt and much more historically significant uh, kind of neighbourhoods that you would see in Brighton, where we have the South Lanes, which is a pocket dimension to nowhere, which eats tourists on the reg. Um, so I wanted to make a bunch of kind of, I wanted to make an overarching setting that felt relatable and definitely had some kind of tonal points that everyone could kind of get on board with, but then drill down into it. So you have got very explicitly kind of plot hooky locations uh, like the clock tower, which has a bunch of urban legends about the original architect burying his family underneath it. Or um, the fact that there used to be a massive gold rush in the hills nearby. And some of the, some of the mines were illegal and never actually put on maps or the fact that there is a big urban exploring community who go into the aqueducts and there's rumors of fish people being down there. So trying to make a system, trying to make a setting that on the one hand doesn't feel like it's going, this is the main quest, go and do it, shut up, go and do it. That's the only plot hook here, which if you've ever done Lord of the Dragon Queen, good Lord, mm, never played the original version of that. Um, but also give people the freedom to go, oh, what if I just want to dick around for a session? What if I want everyone to just go to the beach and have fun? Which <clears throat> we might have done in interstitial recently. Um, you can also do that because I've made PCs and I've made events happening where you can have, a, I mean, maybe not a Hot Springs episode, but that there is the freedom for every campaign or for any player or any GM to go, I mean, if everyone kind of dealt with a lot of heavy stuff last session, maybe we just have a bit of a light, a light one this time around. We go to that music festival that we came up with, or we go maybe we go over and exploring and find out what's down there. And it's it doesn't have to be a really regimented experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, I see on the document that you you've also included a bunch of questions to so that people can really make the setting their own when they play it. That is the other thing as well. And I'll probably do a version of that with the questions filled in, because I feel there are some some players out there who will go, I oh, really just want a pre-gen I can run with, and that's fine. Um, but once the whole community has been produced and you have your locations, your legends, your spots, your NPCs, you can then start taking that all on board if you are producing your own community and go, Okay, well, now we've got all these things together. What questions do these things create when we rub them together? So, for example, I've got a location called um, the Imperial Vista Developments, which is just this soulless condo development. But it's also incredibly secretive. The workers never actually go into town. And the only representative there is a very slick, soulless corporate representative. So that could just be background dressing. That could just be the whole gentrification theme over there doing something. Or if after reading all of that, you go, oh no, we can definitely do with something with this. You can then answer that question and go, oh no, it's the front for some shady government agency that's trying to excavate the bones of a Lovecraftian entity or something like that. You can go into even the most minor details and go, okay, well, there's a music festival there, but the cops used to beat up and like break down the old raves that happened on that little, um, that little hook cove area around the corner maybe people from there are trying to recreate it here and it's going to be like a massive kickoff in the middle of the central park you can find little nuggets of information within the community spread them out so to speak in the uh, in the community questions phase and then expand upon them i wanted to produce something that did feel like you have control over what you want the story to be rather than going okay you make your plot hook here and then all of this is set dressing that always frustrates me because that gets characters lost so frequently. Um, 
if I can relate a very bad experience I used to have, and this is by no means an impeachment against the person who ran the campaign, uh, I had I have once played a campaign of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer RPG. And while the game itself was a lot of fun, the person running the campaign cluttered the story with so many, so many bits of information that weren't useful or were red herrings and led to the entire campaign kind of falling over and dying because every time we tried to pursue something, it just kicked up more and more and more dust. Whereas with a system like this, where you can still have all of that stuff around you, but enable the GM to go, okay, this is all cool, but if you want to actually hook onto a plot hook, you can quite clearly see where these things are going to come from. So if I want to just make some stuff be, you know, it's it's a useful thing that I might dip in for a consequence or dip into for some extra kind of world building. You'll probably be aware of that. And then if I go, well, okay, but these guys went missing when they went urban exploring. It's like, okay, that's probably a plot hook. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel very happy with how it's all flushed out. I definitely still need to do some more work and produce some more pre-generated settings, some more pre-generated characters. But so far seeing everyone engage with the system as is, uh, it's it's been a, it's been a wonderful experience just seeing people dive straight in. Uh, all right, let me just do a quick skip through of the rules. See if there's anything else I wanted to dive uh, into. I mean, is there anything you wanted to to highlight? Anything that we haven't touched on yet? Um, I suppose there's one thing, um, which is a little bit different. So with the pub with pub with. Uh, so with games that are powered by the apocalypse, you're probably very familiar with the idea of roll 2's d6 plus the correct stat for that particular move. Um, something that I tossed around for a while and eventually came to rest on was the idea of rolling plus x for certain activities. So you still have four moves that are definitely governed by the four main stats that every character has. Fury, Strange, um, Fake, and Real, which are the key four stats for all characters. But then more complex things such as Reflect, which is all about introspection or puzzling over information. Uh, hunt, which is all about you know seeking something out or trying to get something unpleasant done. Um, or even really simple things like defending other characters. Don't explicitly roll a particular stat. I really don't like the idea of a character being very powerful because they've got one particular high stat. So, in fact, I believe Dungeon World did this as well, which is another fantastic example of fluid gameplay. Um, when people want to use these moves, they would say, say you want to step in front of someone and take a hit for them, you wouldn't roll plus fury because it's a combat action. You would simply go, well, I think you're doing this to kind of, I think you're, I think you're maybe taking the blow on your ethereal energy or you maybe you're doing this to show up other people. Maybe do this with plus real or do it with plus, uh, do it with plus, um, <laughs> I've got the name of the stats. Very professional plus strange so giving all characters that opportunity to still be mechanically effective within the setting and then naturally have maybe one or two moves where the character is clearly going to be you know very good at this particular thing i have a lot of people who are new to this kind of system really not wanting to min max in fact the most recent person i just helped make a character sheet for told me very explicitly i hate i hate overpowered characters i want to make a character that's very flawed to which I went, great, you're only really going to be good at one particular thing, and then everything else is going to f- flow into what you're good at in a given situation. And they've ended up making 
oh dear, this is... I went into hysterics for a good five minutes as we made this character. They have made a drug addict who took so much heroin, they broke the fabric of reality and now see dead people and have dead people possess them. It's like the sixth sense meets meets train spotting, and it's absolutely bizarre. So, um, yeah, and they are, by themselves, very good in one particular area. They are skilled in the criminal element. They, are, you know, have a high tolerance to narcotics. But at the same time, they are, in of themselves, a very flawed, drawn-out character. They're playing the mark. They are literally, the whole idea of the character is they are struggling with their own addiction. So, yes. <laughs> uh, it seems like uh, there, there's just, like, a lot of flexibility built into the, the system in general. Um, yes. Yeah, between these, uh, the what you've labeled as complex moves and the 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 two half playbooks. Um, yeah, I was always very, I was always very afraid I was going to make the make the system too loose and just make everything feel like it's really unfocused. But so far, no one's had a problem with it. Touch wood. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose one last thing that I should bring up. Well, I say just chatting about mechanics. Um. And this is something I have to kind of credit my um, Brighton GM with, is the idea of taking damage and um, death in After Hours. Um, Rather than having a standard hit point track and having characters zero out and either, you know, fall unconscious or just flat out die, there are two states for being taken out. There is just the generic, you lose a certain amount of a value and just you're taken out of the scene, which is often used in a lot of PBTA games to kind of go, you've suffered a consequence, but I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to make sure that you are out of this scene until we come back later. Um, but something that worked really well, and as, a, as an intimidation tactic by GMs, I can thoroughly endorse this, is a small piece of paper marked with the words mortal danger, which is where the GM is essentially going, I am now telling you explicitly, if you're taken out, I can kill you. This, I feel, just adds that certain amount of general consent and awareness to the consequences, whereas some systems will just use death like a big stick and belt you over the head with it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can't take a total credit for such a wonderful idea, um, but it is such a wonderful thing to be able to just confidently and earnestly tell them the consequences for failure are death. Rather than going, you're going to try this thing? Okay, you're dead. And that very often leads to indignation, confusion, or disappointment. And I would rather more games learn to use something like this to give people that sense of stakes rather than just ever-present mortal dread. I'll get off my soapbox now. Yeah, no, no, it's... um, I I know a lot of games have generally uh, moved away from... from uh, from a zero hit points is death of a character mm. model. Uh, I mean, even crunchier games like uh, the the Sentinels RPG, uh, your character is out, not dead, uh, to the point where you can still mechanically contribute to fights even oh, yes. when you're out. Uh, I appreciated that in the Sentinels RPG as well. The fact that your dies that your die was still valid even when you're taken out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I, I mean, some of that does come from the from the card game, but. Uh, we're not talking about that system about <laughs> yours. Um, so uh, I I think generally speaking, um, I, I'm 
I mean, I, I think it's a little biased for me to say that I'm interested in seeing where this is going. Uh, you know, being somebody who's made a character and is going to be playing in a game run by you. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 I can I can appreciate that. But yeah. um, no, I, I I very much appreciate. Um, I mean, I, I honestly appreciate this, this conversation allowing me to actually reflect and just verbalize some of the stuff I've tried to do with this game. Mm-hmm. It's very often when you just talk to, you know, when I talk to my mother about it and I'm like, oh, this is the thing I've done. And she's like, that's great. What's a tabletop role playing game? I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> it's not Scrabble. <laughs> yep. uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I suppose you don't mind if I just tell people how you can get your hands on it. Yeah, no, go ahead, uh, plug away. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so yeah, you can find After Hours on itch.io. Um, it is pay what you want, very much explicitly, because it's not complete yet. If you want to just download it for free and give it a try, totally cool. Um, any proceeds that go from it at this point are just going to go into a fund to get an artist to do proper artwork for the playbooks and the actual rulebook itself. Um if any artists listen to this and go, oh, that might be cool, um, then I absolutely hit me up and I will let you know precisely what I can do for you. But generally speaking, I would just love for people to share this, try it out, and give me your feedback. I am, I have such terribly non-existent self-esteem. I feel this is something which needs to be clarified. When people try to give me feedback, they always couch it with, oh, I don't want to be mean about it. And I go, no, be mean. Hurt me harder. I need it. Without without feedback, creativity suffocates. No matter how no no matter how positive or negative it is, provided it's valid critique and it's going to help that person produce something better, never shy away from saying what you think about a system or about any piece of media content, whatever it is. Because at the end of the day, if they're asking for feedback, you should be honest with them. So yeah. Make, tell me I'm shit, please, and enjoy my game. Yeah, well, I, I mean, considering that this game has already completely changed focus and, you know... Oh, God, the gigantic 180. I I, I have actually realized I will probably actually um, just put out a free version of Snuffed as well, just so if people want to piss around with it, they can. Um, but that will naturally happen once I've finally got After Hours completely out there and sussed out. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's always it's always nice to have these moments where you kind of sit back and go, ah, it's done ish, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then and then all the tiny little things you haven't done start just mounting on the horizon. You go, oh, it wasn't done at all. Yay! Mm-hmm. Well, um, so other than uh, going to itch to find your uh, the game itself, is there anywhere else people can find you online if they? are interested in the, in your content, interested in your thoughts. Oh, God. Dare I? Dare I plug my YouTube channel? Fuck it. Let's do it. Uh, so, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, well, at Luke underscore Stratford, uh, or you can find me on YouTube where I do recordings for tabletop role-playing as well as terrible Let's Plays, some of which I get drunk for, at youtube.com forward slash sabwones. Um, abandon all hope, ye who enter there. Apart from that, yeah, feel free to poke me, prod me, insinuate terrible things about me. I am very much open to any kind of communication, any kind of feedback. You know me. I am I am trash boy. All right. Well, uh, 
thank you for uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, oh, thank you, very thank you, very thank you, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, to all the listeners out there, uh, we'll see you next time. See ya. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Tumblr at listentothesenerds.tumblr.com or on Twitter at LTTNCast. All our music is sourced from Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. You can email us at listentothesenerds at gmail.com.